blessing it is to be a father. Amen. If I asked you what biblical figure inspires you the most, you may uh, you may be thinking about a prophet or a judge or a king from the Old Testament or even a, an apostle from the New Testament. But since it's Father's Day, uh, what about fathers? Are there records of men known for simply being fathers in the Bible? Let's see, there's, there's God the Father, of course. There was Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, right? He's, that's his claim to fame, being a father. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, he was, he was a father figure, that's, that's what he did. And then there was a man named Abraham. Aside from God the Father himself, Abraham is probably the most well-known biblical father. Come on, you all know the song. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. No, I'm just kidding. We'll end it there. <laughs> so, how did this father have such an impact uh, that lasted thousands of years so that we would still be singing about him and calling him father? How did Abraham come to have such an impact on generations upon generations of people? Now, you could probably argue that it was because God made a covenant with Abraham, right? We all know the covenant that God made with Abraham. Uh, in Genesis 15:5, it says, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you are able to count them. This is God speaking to Abraham. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. So God made this covenant with Abraham. But I believe it wasn't that simple. You see, God does not force uh, people to be unwilling participants in his plan, does he? There was something about Abraham that allowed God to carry out his covenant plan through him. Now, the Bible does not mention anything about Abraham being uh, particularly intelligent or brave or strong or, or wise or even a good leader, right? It, uh, not that he wasn't those things, but it doesn't... It doesn't call that out. Yet this father has a spiritual legacy. And by the way, you know this is the Holy Spirit because I had no idea what that video was going to be. When it talked about legacy, that's what, I'm pre- that's what I'm speaking about today. So pretty awesome that the Holy Spirit works that way, right? So, So what made Abraham someone God could use? The author of Hebrews uh, wrote about Abraham in what has come to be known as the faith chapter, um, Hebrews chapter 11. In this chapter, the author recounts many uh, of the great examples of faith displayed uh, in the lives of believers who had come and even gone before him. So among the likes of Enoch and and Noah and Moses and David, we read about Abraham. In fact, Hebrews chapter 11 contains more about Abraham than anybody else. 
Today we're going to be looking uh, a little more in depth at this tribute to Abraham and the examples the author included to kind of build his argument that Abraham was not only worthy of being included, but deserved a place of prominence among these great men and women of faith. So if you have your Bibles, uh, which I hope you do, we're uh, reading from Hebrews chapter 11, starting with verse 8. Hebrews 11.8 says, By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah received the ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, there was born even of one man, and him as good as dead at that, as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number, and innumerable as the sand by which which is by the seashore. And then I'm going to scoot down a little bit to uh, verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. So here we read that the author of Hebrews recounted two monumental times in Abraham's life where he followed faith with action. He followed faith with action. The very uh, first phrase written about Abraham, I believe, is pivotal. Uh, It is why we're still singing about him today. He wrote, by faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed. Right? So the author is highlighting that with Abraham, faith was always followed by action. The importance of this simple but powerful principle was echoed by James uh, one book later when he wrote, Show me your faith without works, and I will show you my faith by my works. To James' point, how would anyone be able to tell you had faith if you did not demonstrate it by how you live. James says, take a look at how I live, and you will be able to tell that I have faith. That's what he was saying. To James, you cannot simply say you are a believer. Your your life must reflect it by how you live. And that was really the secret to Abraham's success. In fact, who is the one and only person James uses as an example to substantiate his point? In James 2, 21 through 22, it says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac as his son on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. So James, talking about faith and works and the relationship between that, 
cited Abraham as his prime and only example of that. So, now I'm going to speak to all of you fathers and grandfathers. Now, this does technically apply to all parents, grandparents, guardians, and um, all sorts of different relationships, but I'm talking to the fathers and grandfathers. The way we live our lives needs to be consistent with what we say we believe. The way we live our lives needs to be consistent with what we say we believe. There are two very important reasons for this. According to James, faith, if it has no works, is dead. So in other words, if we all took an honest look at our lives and it does not reflect what we say we believe, we're in a bit of trouble. So that's gut check time. Do do our lives reflect what we say we believe? Second reason why this is important, that our our, our lives reflect our faith, is that our children and grandchildren will see, no matter how much we try to mask it or hide it, Our children and grandchildren will see the inconsistency. They'll see it. And it's very likely that the result of this will be that either, number one, they grow up um, as inconsistent believers themselves, or more likely, in today's world, they'll reject Christianity altogether. And I'm sure as fathers and grandfathers sitting here today, We don't want that for our children. We don't want that for our grandchildren. I don't know if you remember, but a few weeks ago, probably maybe about a month ago, we had Josh Ernst here from Chi Alpha. Anybody remember that service? Yeah. It was a very sobering service, wasn't it? He had some very um, shocking statistics. Um, He shared a statistic right at the beginning of his message, and he said, 66% of our church-going kids in the Assemblies of God, just in our our fellowship, once they graduate high school, will stop going to church and never return. That's two out of every three. And then he said that Barna, um, who does a lot of surveys and a lot of research, um, says that across denominations, so this is not just Assemblies of God, but denomination-wide, the figure is closer to 75%, or three out of every four. Kids who are raised in the church will stop going when they, after high school and never return. This goes to show you what a pivotal role we as fathers and grandfathers play in these lives. We all know that May was... You guys all awake out there? May was... Thank you. And our sermon series this year for that month was titled, It Starts Here. We still have a big uh, sign out in, the, out in the cafe. It says, It Starts Here. It has a big arrow. It's pointing to our town. So, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try doing a Pastor Mark move here, so please just bear with me and kind of cooperate, okay? I love when Pastor Mark does this. It's a, it, it's a slight variation, though. 
Okay, every father and grandfather, extend an arm straight out and give me a thumbs up and keep it there. Thumbs up, keep it there. Now, bend your elbow until it's at a 90 degree angle and repeat after me. The way to impact current and future generations start here. You should be pointing at yourself. All right, you can put your arms down. The way to impact current and future generations starts here with me. When I, when I learned that my wife was pregnant with our first son, uh, one of the things that I like to do when I'm not familiar with what I'm supposed to do is get out, go out and buy a book on it. So I bought a book called Becoming a Dad because I had never been a dad before. So it seemed pretty logical. And I want to share with you um, a quote from that book. It's a, a book called Becoming a Dad by Stephen James and David Thomas. And they wrote, Ultimately, if we are going to be successful as fathers, it is imperative that we learn to establish the conditions under which our children can hopefully discover a sincere gratefulness and genuine wonder regarding the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And this extends far beyond compulsory Sunday school, church attendance, or youth group. It requires that we as fathers model a relationship with God that is authentic and based in humility, surrender, and wonder. And this is, this is the most crucial point. Our children need to see us working out and celebrating our salvation in a continual process of sanctification. Let me read that again. Our children need to see us working out and celebrating our salvation in a continual process of sanctification. Now, does that mean that we can't mess up? Does that mean that we can't make mistakes? No. Because we're going to do that. I do that on a regular basis. You could probably ask my family. They'll tell you. Um, but that's okay. That's the part of um, working out our salvation in a continual process of sanctification. Because they need to see a couple of things. They need to see... Uh, number one, that we're working on our spiritual lives, that our spiritual lives are important and that it's a process and that when we fail, we get back up and we keep on going because there's nothing more important in life than becoming more like Christ. Amen? So getting back to our passage of Scripture... Uh, the author of Hebrews recounts two events in the life of Abraham that stand out above the rest. So, uh, verses 9 and 10 says, By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place um, he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundation, whose architect and builder is God. So notice here, notice a couple of things. Number one, it says, he went out not knowing where he was going. 
That's pretty incredible. He left with his family in tow, by the way. He left with his family, packed them up. He left the safety and security of their homeland, of, of their home, for the unknown. God didn't tell him exactly where he was going or what he was doing, right? But in faith, he obeyed. Then it says, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land. So this is, this is really an incredible act of faith here that he is acting out and that his family is seeing. Because not only does God call him to leave, so he packs up everybody and he leaves, but then he gets to the land that God says he's going to give him, but he doesn't give it to him yet. So it says that Abraham is still believing in the promise of God, but yet... He hasn't realized it yet. So this is he's going through all this for the hope of a future inheritance. Right? So him and his family, they're living in this country. They're living in this land, in this foreign land, as aliens, as strangers. Believing that one day God would bless his family. So then it says, notice that it says that they were dwelling in tents. So they were living as nomads. So they didn't come and God said, okay, well, this is, this is your inheritance now. Now you can build a big mansion here and you can live happily ever after, right? They're dwelling as tents, living as nomads. And if you read the account in Genesis of Abraham, they moved several times, right? And then it says he did all this with Isaac and Jacob. So Abraham's son and grandson actually both lived the same way, living in tents. So not only did Abraham live um, looking for a future promise, for God to fulfill a future promise, but also Isaac and Jacob lived that way too. God didn't actually give them that land until they came back out of slavery and Moses led them there, right? Then they inherited the land. So these men, so Abraham, then Isaac, then Jacob after him, they all lived in this land that God had promised to them, but they didn't, were not able to realize the promise while they were living there. So they were doing it just in faith. Then it says, uh, this is the second monumental event here, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, in Isaac your descendants shall be called. So now you remember the backstory here, right? God promises Abraham descendants. And so Abraham's waiting and waiting, and yet they're growing older and older. And, and, and soon um, Sarah, or Sarai at the time, his wife, grows past childbearing age. And they're wondering, well, what's going to happen? How is, how is God going to do this? And kind of in a moment of bad judgment, Abraham um, goes into uh, one of his wife's servants, Hagar, and, gives, and Hagar gives birth to Ishmael. But God rejects Ishmael, saying that his wife Sarah will give him a son. So finally, Isaac is born, his only begotten son, Isaac. And then God tells Abraham to go and offer Isaac as a sacrifice. Now, 
if I, if Abraham moving from his homeland to a land that he had yet to inherit and lived as a stranger was not um, a great act of faith, then this is certainly a monumental act of faith. To be willing to take this son that God had promised him. And, and just remember, God said, through Isaac, that's where your descendants will come. You know, all these promises I'm going to fulfill through Isaac. So it must have been a little confusing at first, you know, for him to, for God to say, okay, here's your, here's your begotten son that you are, that all your descendants are going to come through. And then God says, well, offer him up to me as a sacrifice. What? But one thing we know about Abraham, faith was followed by action, right? Faith was followed by action. So, One significant thing to note here is that Abraham did not not live his faith journey apart from his family. Instead, his family was a part of his faith journey. Let me say that again. Abraham did not live his faith journey apart from his family. Instead, his family was a part of his family faith journey. We see his wife Sarah, she was mentioned in Hebrews as well, chapter 11 in this part. He says, um, the author says, by faith even Sarah herself received the ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. So uh, Sarah, his wife, is mentioned in here. And also his son Isaac is mentioned in here. And his grandson Jacob, all playing a part as these stories of Abraham's Great faith are told. They lived out their faith and followed God together with the father, Abraham, leading the way. Now, another thing to note is that this faith journey did not take place in the tabernacle, nor the temple, nor a synagogue or a church. It was not led by a priest or a prophet or a rabbi or a pastor. It took place outside of the church walls with the father as the spiritual leader. Right? I think that's pretty important. Now, let me take a moment to recognize um, that there are parents, I know there's some of you out there who are playing both roles for one reason or another. And you have a significant task. And um, I recognize that um, you play the father sometimes when you're not technically the father. But this role is important. And I would say um, somebody, if the father's not there, has to be the spiritual leader. So, sorry, just an aside there. So getting back to this story of, of uh, Abraham... Um, I'm not saying that the church and the pastor don't have a part to play in all of our spiritual journeys. Um, but I believe that the story of uh, Abraham illustrates a couple things. Number one, to coin a phrase, it has to start at home. It has to start at home. And it has to start with fathers taking some responsibility to provide spiritual leadership. 
wanted to share a story of um, that of something that uh, happened with our family um, not too long ago, just a little, uh, maybe like a week ago. So we were we were up uh, camping with our Connect group. Hey, Connect group! Shout out to the Connect group. Um, we were up uh, having a good time camping with our Connect group um, up at. Sorry, but we were at Devil's Lake. We thought we'd bring a little Jesus to Devil's Lake, amen? <laughs> so it was in Baraboo, okay? I don't know where the name of the lake came from, but we were in Baraboo. So um, we left the campground a couple times because, as you know, you know, you don't always bring everything or remember everything on a camping trip. So we're going into Baraboo to get some supplies, probably some extra, I think, some ice and um, a few other things. Um, so we're going along this main road and we see this guy at the side of the road and he, you know, he has a sign and it says, we'll work for food. And so we drive by him, we go get our food and then we drive back again. He's still there. And I'm like, we got to stop. So we pull over and, and start rummaging through stuff. And, and, and just in a moment of truth here, I'm just going to be honest so we figured out what we could probably spare, which is a, a few extra snacks that we had. Um, so we gave him some snacks. We offered him some water. And then I literally had $1 because I always use my debit card. So I only, literally had $1 in my pocket. And I gave that to him. But I will say that I didn't mention anything about the $20 bill that I gave my wife to hold uh, earlier. So... Just a moment of honesty here, just a moment of transparency. And then I prayed for him, and then I left. We all left. We got in our car, and then we left. But then I felt the Holy Spirit convict me. How could I pray for him and leave with a buck and some snacks? Is that a real demonstration of the love of Christ? So as we're driving, I look over at my wife and, you know... um, She's always, my wife is awesome. She puts up with me so much. But, you know, I look over at her and I'm like, we got to do more. We can't, I can't just leave like that. I just can't. What, what kind of witness is that? I'm going to pray for you and give you a buck. So, checked her balance and went to the ATM and pulled out whatever we could afford to pull out, which was more than a buck. And then we went back and, and we gave him the money. And then after we gave him the money, we actually gave him a ride to a little motel in town um, so that he could stay the night at the, at the motel. And so as we're driving, we're, we're talking about God because he said, you know, the first time when he gave, we gave him the money, he said, God bless you. So I'm like, okay. So this guy knows a little bit about God or it's just a, a tagline. I don't know. So I start talking to him about God. And let's just say that... He had some unusual beliefs. Um, I would say that Mike, that's his name, was probably both the leader and sole member of the cult of Mike. Some very odd, unusual beliefs. And so, you know, we get to the motel and we drop him off and, you know, um, we start going back. And again, I'm just being transparent. This is, you know, this is what goes through my mind, you know. 
when we, when we have those encounters, we hope that we can impact somebody for Christ, right? And we hope that when we leave, that maybe this would lead to at least be a step in the process of leading that person to a relationship with Christ. And so I left being frustrated, feeling like, I don't know if this guy's ever going to get there because he's, you know, he's, he's got some things against, um, you know, churches and he's got some really unusual beliefs and I don't know if he's ever going to get there. So I left feeling frustrated, wondering, you know, what, what was that all about? You know, God, why did, why did you, why did you, you know, lead me to, to go that extra mile with him if odds are it's not going to do any good eternally? Which I don't know. You know, but that was my assessment of the situation, and I was just being a human. So, as we're driving back, we started discussing it as a family. And for those of you who um, read the book Contagious Christian or are reading it, the very first concept that they put out there is that everyone matters to God. Everyone matters to God, right? Muslims matter to God. Hindus matter to God, Russians matter to God, Mexicans matter to God, Canadians matter to God, and we matter to God, and Mike matters to God. And so as a family, with my sons in the back seat, we talked about that, that every person, no no matter, you know, gender, nationality, whatever, they all matter to God, and God loves them. So, if nothing else happened, if nothing else came out of that encounter, my boys were sitting in the back seat watching. My boys were watching. And if that impacts them, that was totally worth it. I want them to believe that every, ma- uh, every person matters to God, no matter what. And then they can love people without any restraint, without any restrictions. Everyone matters to God. And so, later that night, we're praying as we, as we were going to bed, and, and we prayed for Mike. We prayed for Mike. And then, wouldn't you know what, the next day, my son Cohen says, Hey, Dad. You think we can go visit Mike again? I'd like to see how he's doing today. My boys. You see, that's part of my spiritual legacy as a father. According to uh, Kurt Bruner and Steve Stroop, um, the authors of It Starts at Home, this is a shameless plug, but it is out by the Home Point Center out there for you if you, if you care to read it. Um, but Kurt uh, Bruner and Steve Stroop said um, that there are four roots to lifelong faith that grow best in the rich soil of family life. I'm going to go through those four real quickly. Number one, beliefs. Beliefs grow best in the rich soil of family life. And they said, our foundational beliefs about God about ourselves, and about the world around us take shape in the context of home. Whatever we believe about ourselves and the world and God, those beliefs are formed in the home. Identity. 
Identity um, is formed in the home, in the context of the home. Children need to see what it means to be made in the image of God as made male and female. They're looking to their fathers and their mothers to model that for them. Character. A child's character is developed and refined as parents both model character and reinforce it within their children. And then purpose is the fourth one. We need to help define our children's purpose in life before the world defines it for them. So what are some of the ways that we can encourage these roots of faith to grow in our children? There's a lot of them, believe it or not. They're not that hard. The most difficult one probably is uh, the, the primary way. First and foremost, we as fathers and grandfathers need to model a relationship with God that is authentic. Men, fathers, we need to model a relationship with God that is authentic. Kids can tell when you're faking it. Number two, pray as a family, not just before dinner or before bed, right? And read the Bible with our children. We need to read the Bible with our children. There's plenty of good children's Bibles out there that you can read and discuss. And we do that every single night. Every night before Cohen goes to bed, I read a a little... Now, they don't have chapter and verse, they have little stories, you know, because he's six. (laughs) But they have little stories, and we read a little story about Samson, or about David, or about Paul, and we talk about it. And then we pray. And every night when I pray with Cohen, um, I tell him to do two things. First, he has to think of at least one person that we can pray for. And I don't, I, you know, I don't, I don't put any stipulation around that. So if, you know, if he wants to pray for Santa Claus, I let him pray for Santa Claus. Who cares? But think of somebody that you can pray for. And then the second thing is, is what can we thank God for today? And he has to at least name one thing that we can thank God for today. Now, sometimes it's just as simple as, thank you, God, that we all watched the Batman Lego movie. But that's okay. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna criticize him for that. I'm fostering that uh, behavior within him that he needs to do those things. So we we pray for somebody, and now you know I'm proud of him because Cohen. You know we started out just really challenged in in thinking of somebody to pray for. Now he has a list, and I didn't. I didn't tell him to make a list. Now he has a list, and it keeps growing. I'm surprised that he remembers because it's up to like six or seven people now. And he thanks God. So we pray every night. We read the Bible every night. How about this? How about just um, when you leave church, either on Wednesday night or Sunday morning, go home and discuss what was, what was talked about or preached about or taught about. Go home and talk about it. Hey, what did you learn in children's church today? What did you guys talk about in children's church today? Oh, that's awesome. I love the story of Noah too. 
Let me tell you about that. Discuss what was talked about in church at home. It's an easy way where you don't have to have a, a, a big Bible study or anything like that. It's already done for you. You have the scripture verse. You have the subject. You have what we talked about. All you need to do is take it home, right? How about this? Look for service opportunities you can do as a family. Every year we do the community cleanup together as a family. This year it was me, my wife, Cohen, and David. Now, David didn't do much cleaning. He did a lot of sand and rock throwing. But he was with us. And again, he's watching. He is watching and seeing what his parents are doing. Right? Or maybe just bless someone like Mike. I would say this. Never pass up a teachable moment. Never pass up a teachable moment. What I mean by that is, just like you know the, the car ride home after dropping Mike off at the hotel, that was a teachable moment. That was, that was a moment in which I could explain to our sons what we were doing and why we were doing it. It was a teachable moment. Sometimes your kids will, will present teachable moments to you when they're struggling with somebody. You know, sometimes... Cohen comes home from school and is frustrated because somebody did this to him and somebody did that to him. So we could talk about forgiveness. Never pass up a teachable moment. And then, again, another shameless plug, but use the resources available to you through HomePoint. They're easy. If you're looking for a place to start, they're easy. They're online or they're out there in paper form. And they're free. Our church is providing this to you fathers and grandfathers just for this specific reason. Because we want you to leave an awesome spiritual legacy behind you. So, um, Abraham, he serves as an example of a father who lived out his faith and left a spiritual legacy that has spanned generations. That man lived like five, 6,000 years ago. And our kids are still singing about him in Sunday school. Now that's a spiritual legacy, but who was Abraham? He was a father, and he was a believer who lived out his faith in an authentic way. He involved his family and now we're talking about him today. I think that's an incredible that's an incredible opportunity. It just tells me that we all, each and every father and grandfather in here has that same opportunity. Maybe God does not come down and and make this big huge covenant with you, but what we do, how we influence our children and grandchildren will span and last generations. We can influence them positively or negatively for Christ, depending on what we do, how we live. So, there's two things I know. Number one, you might be thinking to yourself, either it's too late, my kids are older, or I just don't have time, or whatever. One thing I know, something is better than nothing. 
Something is better than nothing. If you start with just praying with your kids or something like that, even as adults, as adults, you know, what a good opportunity. If they're sitting next to you in this sanctuary, what a great opportunity to go home and talk about what, what this message was about. As adults. Something is better than nothing. And sometimes you need to start small. And that's okay. But you need to start somewhere. The other thing I know is that if we as fathers and grandfathers do our part, God will do the rest. We don't have to worry about doing it all ourselves. We don't have to worry about... We can't save our children. We can only cooperate in the work of God, in what God is wanting to do and is doing in their lives. So if we do our part, God can do the rest. Amen? So let's... let's uh, Read a little bit more of Hebrews as we close. The author of Hebrews went on to, to record, and see, this is all after the story of Abraham kind of wraps up. And now we see what happens with the next generations. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, even regarding things to come, because they didn't see the promise of God fulfilled yet either. So as Abraham blessed Isaac regarding things to come, now we see Isaac is blessing his two sons, Jacob and Esau, regarding the things to come. And then by faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of his sons, uh, each of the sons of Joseph, and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. So now we have... Uh, one generation, two generations that are repeating this. And now, here we go, by faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the Exodus. He's still looking forward to the promise. Made mention of the Exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. So he's living out his faith and he's saying, oh yeah, and by the way, when God does lead you out of Egypt, take my bones with you. And bury him in the land where my fathers are buried. Four generations. We can see doing the same thing. Starting with Abraham. As, as Kurt Brunner and uh, Steve Stroop wrote, God intends moms, dads, grandpas, and grandmas to consistently guide children toward their God-intended purpose of becoming like Christ. That is our job. So, as we close today, let me ask you, fathers, grandfathers, all parents really, what will your spiritual legacy be? What will your spiritual legacy be? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you. I thank you for this word today. And Lord, I, I really didn't know that um, you know, we, we would be having a video that would be um, you know, basically portraying the same thing. But God, we know that that's a confirmation that your Holy Spirit is really here and speaking and orchestrating all of this. And so I thank you that, Lord, you were able to speak through me today. But, God, I pray that as you did, that 
people heard it. Lord, I pray that as you spoke, that people were encouraged, that people were challenged. And that, Lord, as we leave here today, that the fathers and the grandfathers especially, as they are honored throughout the rest of the day, that they can be men who act upon their faith. That they can be men who live out their faith authentically in front of their families. Lord, that their families can live out their faith Together. Lord, that you would use fathers and grandfathers to influence generation after generation, O Lord God. And that our children and our grandchildren will not be among the 66% of children who after high school leave church never to return. But God, that we would just that we would just um, eliminate, eradicate those statistics, O oh Lord God. That they wouldn't apply to us. God, anoint each and every father, grandfather in this place. I pray your Holy Spirit anointing would be upon them to be the spiritual leader of their homes from this day forward, that they would recognize that they have this position and they have this opportunity to leave a spiritual legacy. Lord God, empower them. Give them wisdom, Lord God. Give them boldness to live out their faith and to sometimes make mistakes, but then to talk about it with their families. But to keep going. Lord, help them to know what to do. If they have not really addressed teaching their children spiritual truths to this point. Maybe, maybe they've found it difficult. Maybe they don't know how to get started. Maybe they don't know what to do. I pray that they would take something away today and that you, Lord, would give them the wisdom and the vision to begin if they hadn't or to even step it up if they've been doing a little bit. Maybe you want them to do a little bit more. God, help them to do it. Empower them to do it, O Lord God. But help them to recognize that they're not doing it alone. That it doesn't rest all upon their shoulders. That, God, it's your work of salvation that is happening in their children. And he is using each, you are using each of them to do it. And God, I just want to thank you right now. Because your word says to present our petitions with prayer and supplication in thanksgiving. Because just like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph look forward to the future promises that you had, I'm looking forward to the spiritual legacy that I'm going to leave. But more importantly, I'm, gonna, I'm looking forward to my sons growing up to be great men of faith. Lord, please do it in our families. And Lord, now we're just going to thank you. I thank you for each and every father in this place, O oh Lord God, because it is a great responsibility. But it's also a great joy. And I pray today that today would be a day of great joy for them. 
as they celebrate and their families celebrate with them. We thank you today, God, for the opportunity, for the honor that you have given us to be fathers. And we just praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.